Welcome to Farming with Family. I'm your host, Garrett Hansen, with my sister and co-host, Ashley Kenny. We're third-generation dairy farmers raising the fourth, and we're here to get brutally honest about family farming and succession. So take out grandpa's hearing aids and buckle up. For safety. Here we go. Welcome back to Farming with Family. We're here today to chat about succession planning, Garrett's favorite subject. It is exciting. This is like the subject that always comes up when we when we talk about it, like with our friends and stuff. Like especially my friends that are back on the farm after school. It's like number one, like probably like once a month we talk about it on the phone. And considering we only call each other like three times a month. You know? what, do you guys, what do you guys talk about the other two times? Uh, nothing important what we're doing with cows yeah but it's like it's what determines whether or not your your farm continues for generations which is really important to us in a generational farming podcast here so today we're not going to be telling you how to successfully uh, successfully <laughs> transition your farm through um, generational succession we're mostly just going to talk about what that's looking like for us right now because we are witnessing the first um, transition between generations right now. And then uh, we're honestly kind of already preparing for what that would look like for our generation. Yeah, I think it's important to note that like we, we don't, at least me, I don't think there's a right or a wrong way yeah. to, to uh, transition a farm from one owner to the next or one generation to the next. I mean, it's really easy to do that. Well, maybe not really easy, but way easier with just a business that's not yeah. considered a livelihood. Right. And there's this not, is, not family tied up in it. As oh, yeah. I mean, the more siblings, the, the more intricacies. I mean, it it can get really, really messy and it can cause like family hardships and, you know, legacy and wealth destruction yeah because i mean a farm is basically where all your wealth all your family is tied up mm -hmm. so if you can't figure out how to transition that from one to the next it destroys what you have yeah and i think that that happens to a lot of families for sure or that is just too hard and so they just don't or can't transition um which i think that's kind of like I mean, we'll talk about it later, but grandpa has done a really good job of having an, another, another nest egg yeah. that can kind of, you know, offset the farm going to one kid or two kids even, yeah. which doesn't yeah, have geez. to go to two years to two kids because one of them left. Yeah. So it, it, I, that has really helped this succession and the way that it's been developing. Um, but the basics of our succession plan within our farm is that any kid that chooses to come back to the farm, well, I shouldn't say any kid, but, um, the kids that have chosen to come back to the farm, it's worked out to where those kids such as Ashley and I, or my mom, uh, as part of their monthly compensation, it's a sum of sweat equity to their name within the farm. Now, sweat equity can't just come out of anything, so it has to come out of what the current owner is willing to give up. Right. 
in his ownership base. So that that's been kind of cool for us to see grandpa um kind of put his wealth building on the back burner. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I mean to watch to watch him give that that equity to mom before he dies. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my friends are like, why are you, do you even care about sweat equity? If you come back to the farm, you're going to get it over your other sibling, which a, that's not always the case. Yeah. And B, if we, if Ashlyn, like if mom was the whole owner right now, right. And you and I have sweat equity in it and mom and dad's whole nest egg, let's say they get in a car, car crash. Mom and dad's whole nest egg includes the farm. Yeah. With dad's other um, assets. assets. Right. And so our sweat equity helps to kind of offset that to where maybe our other two siblings just get the cash and from, you know, dad's part of the nest egg, kind of, yeah. if you will, where you and I kind of get mom's side of the nest egg, which is the farm. Yeah. And the farm is worth a lot more than what dad has in his nest egg it's just the fact that we're part owners in the farm already that kind of counterbalances in a way i mean it's definitely not to the dollar yeah but it kind of counterbalances that um (laughs) that that monetary discrepancy it's just a it's a cya basically yeah a little bit plus like when we're you know we we're gaining sweat equity now we have very little say in the farm yeah. As far as from an ownership standpoint. But when mom owns it whole out outright, well, other than minus our two sweat equity portions, and we're gaining that from mom. Right. Then we, we kind of have a little bit more of a say in in it from an ownership standpoint. Yeah. As far as, you know, big land purchases or sales or stuff like that. Probably we probably won't have any say still in the day to day. Yeah, a little bit. But for for those who are um, kind of thinking about how they want to do succession on their farm, maybe you're the parent and you have um, high school kids or or maybe you're, you know, older and you have kids who are coming back with their own kids and you're more in our mom's position. Basically, what this looks like, how grandpa set it up is um, our mom, when she came back, she slowly starts earning what my grandpa owns. and then now that we're back, we're slowly starting to earn what they own. And um, I mean, what we're earning on a monthly basis is minuscule compared to our equity, the entire, the entire farm's uh, valuation. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we, we are gaining that, but it's just, we're Ashley and I are probably gaining as much as what the farm is uh, (laughs) appreciating to that month. So, but with that said, it's still an ownership value and it's important. I think it also helped that when we came back, that was an offer because even though, yeah, we're, you know, quote unquote, just employees, mm-hmm. we have the mindset of like, you can call it future owners or potential owners or whatever, but we're kind of starting to think that way. It also, I think, causes mom especially to really try to loop us into um, at least just how she's thinking with management and ownership decisions it doesn't always mean that like you said we have a say and that's okay that's fair i mean any other business they're not going to give the peons a huge say in big management decisions but she definitely tries to loop us in i think that she really tries to give you as much leeway as she can for haying Mm -hmm. for sure um 
I, off off that, like piggyback off that, we we can see them making choices that someone who didn't have a next generation to be handing to, that a next generation that that hasn't shown any interest in ownership. Mm-hmm. We can see choices that they're making right now that affect us. Yeah, and that they're actually making those choices that, for the most part, help us for the future. I mean, putting in robots. Oh, yeah. They wouldn't have Whole done reason. that if you and I hadn't come back. Yeah. So that's that, a, that's a weird conversation. Yeah. They I think that I think that they're the fact that we decided to come back is gave them hope for the future of the farm. Yeah. I mean, we since we've been back since I've been back, you and I, we've what purchased more land, put in robots. Diversified, diversified every which and, way possible and that that's to help the farm grow to help support more families yeah. which brings up one of the next big topics of succession that always comes up is when is there too many people on the farm for it to mm-hmm. you know when do you t- when do you when when do you turn but like if if our siblings came back would we turn them away I think at this point we've proven that we can do that we can diversify. Um, but the question is, could we diversify enough? Could we to support s- two more families to self-sustain enough? Because basically what we're talking about is jugging our own milk and somehow creating high enough margins on that to support another sibling coming back. Yeah. Or, or any other diversification. I mean, hay, make hay yeah, it w- or something. But, but the point is, do you have like, like what is that threshold? And I think it's different on every farm. Yeah. Of when when you tell someone in the next generation they can't come back. Cause I think I think that a lot of us want to think, oh, you know, sunshine and daisies, we all can come back to the farm if we want to. No. And you can't. I mean, it there's only so much cash flow, there's only so much assets to be spread. Well, not only that, but like from a day to day perspective, you have to have enough things going on that it's not too many cooks in one kitchen. Like you have to have multiple kitchens so that you can have a head chef in each one. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that, that comes back to growing the farm. And and right. I think that as long as farms are willing to grow and there's space to grow, yeah. that's great. Keep, keep growing, get, a, get as big as you can with the generations, you know, so you can bring back as many as you can. But the harsh reality is that not everybody's going to be able to come back to the farm. Yeah, and I mean... Especially if you have 12 kids, Ashley. <laughs> I'm not having 12. Okay. My husband comes from one of like, 12. That's what he's saying. That's like, what he's saying okay, <laughs> we're, we want to talk about succession planning, you know, let's... Are we talking about family planning now, Garrett? It, it all goes in one, you know. If you have, the more kids you have, the bigger the farm has to be, or the more you have to tell to leave? I don't know. Okay, so for our mom's generation, I think that the biggest issue was getting kids to come back at all. Now I think that people our age are getting so sick of the world outside the farm that they all do want to come back. And that, I mean, that was me. Yeah. But wanting and being able to are completely different. No, I know. Okay, I know. So, I'm just saying it's like an interesting contrast between their generation and ours where they were struggling, not, not struggling. I don't think grandpa struggled to get them to come back to the farm, but um, many farmers of that generation couldn't get them to come back to the farm. Or like, I just heard one story of, a guy who's now in his, he's almost 40 and his parents said, Hey, we have an opportunity to either grow the farm and you can come back or we're going to sell it. And we encourage you not to come back. 
And he didn't because they were like, we don't, we don't know that you want this lifestyle forever. And we don't know that you want to be having this conversation with your kids one day and everything. And, you know, he's grateful for that and everything. But I'm just like, gosh, I can't, I can't imagine getting that phone call. What a, what a weird phone call. I like, think please 18, don't 20. Yeah. They're like, we love you. Don't come back. Because the farm wasn't big enough or because they, they didn't, they didn't like know that they wanted to totally grow. They didn't know if they wanted that lifestyle forever. And, you know, so I, I think that all, that. that all plays into the succession planning. And that's where you need to set those seeds early. That's the sweat you know, equity piece. Yeah. So. But but like back to back to. Our farm, like, actually, do you, if we play the what if game, mm-hmm. what if Mark didn't leave the farm? So Mark Would is you, our mom's younger brother and he was on the farm for 10 plus years 15 years maybe yeah maybe 15 years and then he uh went into full-time ministry for our local church so your question is what if he comes back no what if he didn't leave what if he didn't leave geez i would you have come back to the farm would there have been space as the first first well, I'm, of our, I'm our weird, generation to come back i'm i've been able to come back i'm a weird case because I don't see myself being in a management role until I'm done raising kids. Not, not I'm truly not, in a management yeah, role. You, not. I think you, the better question is you. Let me flip that around. If Mark was still on the farm, would you have come back? He's shaking I would. I would have <laughs> liked to, but I don't think there would have been space. Right. It's the cooks in the kitchen thing. Well, it's the amount of assets versus the people you're breaking. You know, there's only so many slices in a pie, right? Yeah, it's it's really hard for me. I think because I, I'm I'm the relation. I'm thinking more relationally and day to day and. You know, that kind of a thing. It's hard for me to imagine all of us being there. It, but for you, you're you're imagining assets long term. Long term. Financial like, side of it. How much can each of us even bring home to support a family? Mm-hmm. For sure. That's, that's what I'm That's what I'm talking about as opposed to just the, the emotional side, the, the financial side. They, I don't think that there would have been space on our farm at that time. At that time. For me to come back. I mean, no. even now, if Mark was there. I mean, I don't know if we could supply another family, support another family. No, I don't, I don't think we could. But, I mean, that's basically the same thing with, like, um, our siblings. If they came back, there would have to be some discussions about, you know, do I go part-time? Do we try to move things around? What else can we add? But at this point, I also feel like we're at capacity for what we can manage, for what mom, I mean, really what mom can manage. I I truly don't understand how she juggles it all and how she manages it all because it's, I mean, at certain times of years, it's cows, weddings now. I mean, this is, this is mostly as we go through this growth stage, you know, we're right now, our farm is trying to diversify and grow into a sustainable, into sustainable markets to sustain Ashley and I's families. Right. So I think that she's bearing a lot of that weight and she's doing a great job. But at the same time, there's other parts of life that are struggling. So sometimes I, have you ever sat and played that through? Like if, if they weren't trying, I mean, grandpa and mom, if they weren't trying to make room for us on the farm. Like if they didn't have to diversify that way, maybe if we were an industry where milk prices were so high, didn't matter. Like that's all we needed. And we knew for sure it was going to be good. Like imagine what life would be like. No beef. No extracurriculars, just hay and dairy, which it, is what it, which is what it was for mom and Mark. Yeah, it'd be it'd be a lot easier, but also you you can you can tell one or two families really easily to go on to rice and beans. You know, yeah, when times get tough. Right now, telling four families to say, "Hey, 
Good you luck. can't you can't buy that. <laughs> You're actually not getting a paycheck this week. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. So so I think the diversification has been a big deal for us yeah. to be able to come back and grow our farm and our cash flows to get us to this part of our succession. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, sometimes I feel guilty. Because I'm like, okay, so for example, right now mom just um bought a freeze dryer and she herself is the one who is grinding up beef offal um and turning it into dog she does biscuits. not do well with dead things yeah that's this is part. very interesting yeah she doesn't like dead stuff she does she hates like the idea of beef liver just makes her want to gag but that is that's what she's doing she's grinding it up and she's turning it into dog treats which i i do think will be a profitable market for us but anyway that's just such a prime example of her i think she enjoys the creative management side i think it's her dedication to growing the farm to have a spot for us that's exactly it because it's just more legs of a stool for our farm to sit on essentially for for you and i to come back and make payments on the robots and everything you know for our farm to grow yeah mom's pretty well taking herself off payroll oh no she she literally i don't know that she wants the whole world to know this but she literally only takes home what she legally has to for social security purposes but that's her dedication and like that that is where i want to be in life you know when when our kids come back i want to be able to do that you know that's she's she's setting a fantastic example of of making generational farming work yeah and the key there is that this isn't totally new to her like her and dad have lived on what they absolutely need to raise their kids and to give us a good life like we never thought that money was lacking because it, it wasn't. I mean, they did, did a really good job of balancing all that out, but it's not like she jumped into that once we came back to the farm. Like she's always had the mindset that she gives her time and energy to her kids and she gives her time and energy to the farm. And all of that is going to, you know, bear a harvest in her life mm-hmm. and that and in that, her kids' lives. That That goes back into and a grandpa, the generation before, you oh, know, yeah, he's, example he's doing the same thing. So that's just an example that's been before Ashley and I, that's made this work for, for Ashley and I to be able to, you know, take a paycheck home every month yeah. consistently. And, and a pretty good one. I'm going to be yeah. honest. Sometimes I'm like, I, I get that. And I'm like, I don't deserve this. Even though other people of our age would be like, what? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, we but, have other, you know, we have. Oh, I mean, no, that's something we should talk about. We should talk about the fact that so many of our needs are taken care of. Um, through the farm. Through the through the farm, as far as both of us have housing covered. That's huge. Housing, cars, uh, vehicles, basically anything the farm can ride off. Yeah. They get us, which is really nice. Yeah. So um, I guess that would be kind of another tip or whatever for those who are trying to set up them, set up their farms for a successful yeah. succession is try to get get good tax planning like we do everything with from a standpoint of tax planning yeah and some people don't believe in it some people do um i i think that it is wholeheartedly very important yeah you know it's it comes down to you know like do you buy feed in december (laughs) for eight months or do you save that money get taxed on it Mm -hmm. and there there's two total totally different you know, range of thought on that. If you have enough cash flow, no doubt it makes sense to buy all that feed yeah. for eight months previous, especially if they give you um, well, discount, essentially. discount, but 
anyway, that that's getting into the weeds of things, but tax, also as tax a, planning and in succession planning is, is yeah. important, you know, as far as gift tax and everything like that. It's also been nice as a kid coming back that they have provided housing for us, which, yeah, it's a write-off for the farm, but also it's one less thing I have to worry about. It's really close to the farm and therefore really close to family. So me raising my own family, that has been a huge gift. I, I say like once a week, I'm like, I can't imagine living more than five minutes away from the farm. Like, because, you know, we're running back and forth or, um, I mean, for me, I live right in between my parents and the farm. And so, I mean, literally like mom can pick me up on our way to, you know, feed calves at one place and drop me off or pick up my daughter or whatever it is. So, um, just finding kind of creative ways to make it more of a community. Actually, well, most people call us a compound. <laughs> I mean, are they wrong? No, <laughs> we have kind of created a compound, but yeah. it makes it so much more comfortable and easy for us to be here. Like incredibly stupid easy. Well, yeah, that's that's part of the succession planning is buying land Yeah, as it comes up close to your land base. I mean, that, yeah. that's a big deal. If you're having to travel 25 miles with your tractor to cut mm. hay and then come back, get a rake, go back down, you know, try to get that land base. And that kind of where Ashley was saying the generation before the farms broke up because they couldn't get kids to come back or they asked them not to come back because they didn't want to have to grow Mm -hmm. something like that. That all ended up around us, you know, 10 acre slots, you know, that, that, that destroyed family farming around us. We're the only farm. How many, how many dairy farms were on just our little section of road? We have like slightly more than half a mile of road and there was at least three. There was five. Yeah. So, and now there's one and there's only five north of Spokane and like a hundred mile region. Yeah. So it's, it's just such a stark example of how easy it is to see it all fall apart if you don't really take care of it. And so, yeah, everybody says like, oh, you're building a compound, you know, save some land for us. And no, um, like we can't, we can't, you will lose the farmer. Somebody will say, you know, um, are you guys going to buy this piece of land that's coming up? Uh, yeah, if, if we can, because then otherwise we see like what's happening now next to mom and dad, which is it's going to get parceled out. Um, and it could be worse. It could be like housing complexes, but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be more houses. It's going to be more people. It's going to be more people that we have to please as a farm that stinks. Yeah, we stink really bad. But <laughs> but we, we also keep green. the valley beautiful. Yeah. So um, that's something that mom and grandpa both, um, frankly, kind of harp on. And it's a good thing that they do is that even for succession planning and just keeping the farm and the family long term, you have to be nice to your neighbors. Yeah. The grandpa will talk about. You know your your uh, public license to operate. Yeah. Or your social license to operate. It starts. And it then, starts with your neighbors. It doesn't start with Instagram. Yeah, it starts with your neighbors. Yeah. You know, sure. we we gotta pull the pull them out of the ditch when we can. We gotta. Yeah. You know, do stuff that they ask, or 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 at least not be disgusting. Yeah, and so they know that we stink, but they also know that we're the reason that there's not you know, ten houses on a hundred acre field, and instead it's just lush green. Um, and so I think they, um, kind of keeping that in mind as far as succession goes is important. Um, You know, staying on the land topic, the farm would, I mean, we, we could cash out, sell all the land, build houses on it, but like 
where's that legacy lead you? I mean, you could hand a couple million dollars down to four generations from us. That's the thing. And money kind of, I mean, my husband who's in financial planning would argue, but money kind of has an end to it. Like, well, if you're not smart with it, it is always, which which is most people. That's the thing. It's most people, but like with a farm, there's more to it than just, you know, a, a number. Well, I'd say with the farm, with farm as as the asset as a whole, no other place are your kids going to learn how to work as hard as we have to. Well, I'm or just saying, like, like, it's a gift. It's literally a gift that keeps on giving. Because yes, it's not, exactly. It's not it, just it, a financial gift. Yeah, it gives you money every month, but it also gives you life lessons and a place to live. And yeah, I mean, without the farm, we'd all have to go buy a house, a $500,000 house or something. But yeah. we... We uh, are fortunate enough to have a, a family farm that has successfully gone this long and kind of battled off urbanization. And yeah, I think that that's actually something that will be one of our biggest challenges going forward because Spokane, our nearest metropolis, just keeps moving north, essentially. Yeah. So gonna, we gonna, will always have to battle that. We're going to have to get a one of my friends, a home builder, on and kind of poke holes at him. <laughs> Um, okay, so I'm just gonna throw out some facts here about family farming, and a lot of these you guys will know, but um sometimes it's just a good reminder that um those of us who are in family farming are a pretty special slash dying breed um it's becoming more and more difficult, and for those of you who aren't farmers because um from the feedback that we've gotten on our last podcast, a lot of you guys aren't necessarily farmers, but you're learning a ton about family farming. Um, this will be good information for you. But. I think I think this this whole podcast is really good information for like you know that 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 first generation farmer that's trying to oh, figure yeah. out how how to pass it on. They haven't actually seen a generation do it or yeah. don't do it successfully, right. or they came from a generation that did it horribly and failed. True. Yeah. So. Um. Okay. So most of these are from the American Farm Bureau because where else would I get my statistics? I guess I could probably try a land grant university or two. Anyway, nah, Farm Bureau. <laughs> uh, there are two million farms in America, and ninety-eight percent are operated by families. Um, families would include individuals, family partnerships, or family corporations. So, you know, anything that you can imagine as far as family goes. I think individual means like a beginning farmer, so you're not like generational essentially. Um, along those lines, twenty-five percent of all farmers are beginning farmers, meaning that they've been in business for less than ten years. And the average age of these beginning farmers is 46. So what's the chances that they make it the next 10 years? Well, think about this. If they've been in business for less than 10 years and their average age is 46, it means that they've probably had some kind of career or job or list of job failures for 16 years-ish. And then they got into farming. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Ziggler's. I'm thinking of um, what are they called? The parlor. But anyway, the Ziggler's. That wasn't failed. I think that they. No, it wasn't. It wasn't failed. Yeah. They were extremely successful in construction. And then they decided to go into farming. And that's the gift that they want to be able to give their kids. Yeah. There are, you know, their oldest kids are in high school and that's kind of what they're thinking about. But um, as far as them trying to make it another 10 years, it hinges on the kids, kind of, because well, they, need, they needed some, you know, Anybody, they need some show of of uh, 
you know, desire to come back. Yeah. Right. They they do at this point because, you know, they're otherwise they that that beginning generation is gonna burn out. Yeah. So that's already kind of what they're thinking about. And um I know that there's a lot of people who are in that position. They got twenty five percent of all farmers. I was actually super surprised at that number. Because for some reason I have it in my head that most farmers are, you know, oh my papa did this, my peepaw did this. Well, I, I wonder how many of those are like, you know, the homesteaders that oh, could that be. the survey called and they answered, I have my three chickens. Stop making fun and of And four goats. You know what? Along those lines, we're gonna pause. I sell my eggs and goat mouth. Stop it. Kev- okay. No. <laughs> Garrett makes fun of homesteaders, but let's talk about the bonuses of homesteaders. I went to school for a degree that taught me how to talk to the public about agriculture because they know nothing about it. And now we have the homesteaders. Stop it. But they're learning. And some of these are really sharp learning curves, like dead cow in 24 hours, sharp learning curves. But I, I do appreciate that because they're learning how hard it is. I had somebody tell me today that they wanted to get their own milk cow. I looked her in the eyes and I said, don't. Don't. Milk's really cheap, really cheap. In fact, you should pay us more. <laughs> you could, you could uh, donate to me, and I'll, I'll personally go buy you some milk. If that's yeah, I will go buy you some milk that I produced and then ship to it. And I'll yeah. go buy it at the grocery store. But my point is, I do actually appreciate the homesteaders because some of them are ending up becoming like generational farmers. They're like, hey, let's just take this a little bit bigger and make it more productive. And if not, and there is kind of, I think, a wave of homesteaders actually leaving. They're like, yeah, we did this for 10 years and we're done. They know so much more about agriculture and they appreciate us a whole heck of a lot more. Yeah, but they've driven the hay price up. I, that's a discussion for another day. I'm not going to worry about that. Is the, the oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll have a podcast where we can debate the homestead trend. How's that? Please do. We could get Joel Saladino on here. Saladin, not Saladino. There's Paul Saladino, and then there's Joel Saladin. Two very different characters. Um. Anyway. Uh. Okay. So, just kind of an interesting fact. Uh, compared to 2012, the number of farm operators that are Spanish, Hispanic, or of Latino origin is higher, and it's up 13 percent and there's 112,451 of people of that origin and there are also more black farm operators 45,508 and that's up two percent so I think that just goes to show that there's something interesting is like how many of the current generation of farmers I, I mean up in up in Washington a lot of farm laborers are of Hispanic origin yeah and I mean, if I've heard of, I think, two farms or three farms that in their succession plan, it's going to uh, one of the Hispanic labors I that's met, done I an two of them. amazing job. I mean, yeah, they're they're incredible. The two of all the dairies that I visited when I worked for Dairy Gold and I visited, I don't know, probably a dozen or so, um, two of the best run dairies and the dairies with the most hope and future. Like when I talk to the managers, they are so excited about the future of the farm they were both run by hispanic employees who'd been there for like a couple decades yeah. and then they were the ones that I, I think it's important to note like that 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 is one way into a farm operation is to be honestly a really good be way. A worker yeah and be a hard worker and i'm not saying you have to be hispanic to do that go find somebody with really crappy but kids man real that <laughs> kudos kudos yeah they did a really good job so that's honestly really pretty cool to see and it also reminds me not to take what I have for granted because they were, they were so excited and they just kept saying, you know, we're so blessed. We're so blessed. And they're 
working, you know, same hours mom's working essentially like 70 plus hour weeks. And they're just incredibly grateful for the opportunity that they've been given. Um, so it does make me a lot more grateful for what has, you know, probably in their opinion, fallen into our laps essentially. But that's also kind of where that sweat equity piece comes in. It, it doesn't feel quite so much like it's falling into our laps. It's going to feel like we have to work for it. We have to work like on our farm, we have to work for it to, to even be in the running for ownership here. Yeah. Um, something that is definitely different than when, you know, grandpa first got into farming is that women make up 36% of the total number of U.S. farm operators. And then how many of all farm, what percent of all farms have at least one female decision maker? Is that a question for yeah. me? Yeah. What percent of all farms have at least one female decision maker? Let's go with 13 and a half. Oh, go way up. 75 and a half. Okay. 56. 56. 56% of all farms have a female decision maker. Um, and I think that goes to show that that's something that they had to do in that time period where it was hard to get kids to come back to the farm. Like we've talked about, grandma and grandpa had three kids, two were boys. And the one who's going to be long-term manager there is their daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did that while raising a family. And so I think, geez, if, if the feminists wanted to write something or you know broadcast someone they should broadcast mom people like mom because they're doing men's work raising a family they're doing it all she did she did get to do it all and she made it work for her yeah she's still making it work for all of us so yeah um yeah so those are just kind of some interesting facts that i definitely think improved my appreciation for what we have going on and make me excited to be a part of this like I think I don't know about you but I get pretty um I get some pretty bad tunnel vision with our farm and I forget that we're part of a bigger picture we represent you know to our kids and to other people's kids um kind of a new trend as far as like women being in agriculture and having to diversify this much to keep a farm sustainable long term so um, those are just kind of interesting facts I think that we're we're trying to we're calling it a new trend, but we're trying to keep the old trend of family farming going. Oh, for sure, you know, it just I mean, it's gonna we, look different than it did. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Nobody's gonna be a single single dairy farmer anymore. You, yeah, uh, d- dairy farmers are gonna have to produce. You know, I mean, most of all dairy farmers already produce beef, whether or not they're eating them or not. Right, is different, but that that is a that's a big difference in the in the change of, of dairies over the years, but yeah. Um, okay. So when it comes to actually like how, how are we, <laughs> when it comes to the conversations around succession on our farm, what does, what does that look like? The actual physical conversations about succession, how often are they happening? What do they look like? Um, on our farm, it's probably not happening enough, but it's happening on our farm a lot more than it's happening elsewhere. I think we lose lose sight of that when we were thinking, you know, we want to be owners and stuff. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that don't have any paperwork in place. Yeah, that's Did scary. You, yeah, that, that I'd, I'd be shitting myself. <laughs> that is scary. Like, I mean, I mean, it takes one farm accident for the boss to die. Did you take ag law? No. Okay. Quick story from my ag law professor. Shout out to Dr. Farrell at Oklahoma State University for teaching the one class that I actually 
remember literal lectures from him. Like, I don't remember almost anything else from my time at OSU. I was not an ag law student, for those who are new here. I was ag com. Was that because he was feral? Ha, ha, ha. No. He was someone who grew up child of farmers. And because succession planning did not happen well on his farm, he could not go back and farm. And so he became a lawyer because he was so passionate about it and he went into agriculture, which is super cool. But anyway, one of the uh, stories that he told during our lecture on um, like writing wills and stuff is this farmer who like I think had a heart attack on his tractor, knew he did not have a well in place, a will in place. And so in the dust on what's a tire, like a tire cover, called a tire cover, the plastic tire cover in the dust on that, he wrote his will and signed it and it's legal. Mm. Anyway, that's crazy. Don't rely on that. Is my point? No, bad. That does storm your legacy. Might float away. Yeah, seriously. So anyway, my point is like, don't don't put yourself in that position. Um, if you're the kids or the grandkids or whatever, you need to sit down with your grandparents and parents and say, we have got to get something in paper. That was another thing Dr. Farrell always said is get it in writing. He had a sign on his door that said, get it in writing. That's in everything day to day stuff that you're doing. Mm -hmm. But also for this stuff, like even us, we have a a paper agreement that says what's what equity looks like. It does. I made it (laughs) not with crayon. (laughs) We didn't sign it. That's the funny part. Shoot, I shouldn't say that. (laughs) Okay. But it is there. It is. It is there. Yeah. We do have everything in paper. And then, um, the other thing Dr. Farrell always said was, do not do succession planning around the family table, like around a dinner, a meal. Yeah, we fail at we that. We suck at that. <laughs> we talk about everything over a meal, and it is an absolute circus. But um, those are some things that. But that's what makes our farm our farm. <laughs> that's what makes us so unique. <laughs> yeah. But we, okay, so talking about succession, you know, it doesn't happen enough, but we're all on the same page. Everybody that's involved is on the same page. Maybe the siblings that aren't involved on the farm need to be, you know, like looped in. Like, hey, Ashley and Garrett are getting ownership of the farm, but you'll get all of the rest of the cash assets. I also, I'm going to be honest. I don't like having these conversations. I do. I love it. No, no, no. I don't like having conversations about succession because it makes me think of people dying. And yeah, but I know we have to have everybody them. dies, Ashley. No, I know and, we have to have and them. Usually uncomfortable. Usually you don't know when you're gonna die. So you should know how things are gonna pass on between your kids. Because believe it or not, when money's involved and the actual person doesn't have a say in it anymore because they're six feet under, siblings get weird when money's involved. It's the entitlement thing. You know, you need to have these conversations when you're alive and say, you know, they're going to be mad at you either way. Make sure they're mad at you and they can actually tell you. It's just kind of interesting to think about all the different scenarios you have to think about. Like, you also have to think about, like, what if, you know, terrible scenario that you mentioned earlier, what if that middle generation passes away before the other two? What the heck does that look like? It's just generational transition, skipping a generation. Yeah, but that's kind of where us gaining sweat equity already True. has helped that. So True. I, I don't want to say that like the way that grandpa's set it out on paper as far as us gaining sweat equity and and then when he passes on that divide between siblings. You know, I don't want to say that that is the best way, but I I've 
listen to a lot of people and how they are splitting up the farm and farm ownership and how they're buying into the farm, which we haven't even touched on that. Like, yeah, like buying into the farm. We should, we should, we could almost do a whole nother episode on it. We probably won't get to it today. And what it actually looks like to buy into the farm. Yeah. Where we're buying in with sweat, sweat equity and other people are having to buy in their own cash and we're not even their own cash. They're having to leverage themselves on the individual. You know, the fact that we run everything through an LLC is pretty mind-boggling to other generational farmers. We are definitely not saying that we've done it perfectly. And by we, we mean our grandparents. We're really just telling the story of our I mean, we're, we're still we're still watching it unfold, and Grandpa hasn't died yet, so we don't really know exactly how it's going to work. But on paperwork, it looks like it should work, and it's on paper. So if you guys have specific questions or anything like that, um, you can... Heck, leave it in a review because that means you're leaving a review. Or you can <laughs> leave it in a five star review. Or um, you can reach out to us on Instagram at Dairy Lane Farms, and the link is in the show notes for that. I want people to let us know like what they want to hear us talk about. Oh, Maybe you want to know how ours is doing it and how it's working for us. Yeah. We want to be as raw and honest here as we can. Raw as raw milk. <laughs> that makes Garrett uncomfortable. They made pasteurizers for <laughs> Okay, we will end it there. And we will uh, see you guys next time. You've been listening to Farming with Family with your host, Garrett Hansen, and my sister, Ashley Kenny. Follow along and download wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. You can find us at Dairy Lane Farms on Facebook and Instagram, and you can see the show notes for the link. See you next week for more farm shit. <laughs> I didn't know that you were doing the shit part. <laughs> <laughs>